If you'll open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. If you're a guest with us, we've been studying the final pages of the Bible. I have great concern for my children and my grandchildren. In just a little over 26 years from today, my oldest child will be as old as I am. And when I look back over the previous 25 or 26 years, I'm literally stunned by not so much the technological changes in our society, but by the moral changes in our society. I look at the cultural and the moral changes, and in one sense, they pale into insignificance when you begin to consider the thought of worldwide terrorism. Who would have ever dreamed 25 years ago that much of the free world would live in fear of terrorism? And as concerned as I am for my children, I'm even more concerned for my grandchildren. I can't imagine in my wildest imagination what the world's going to be like for them in 25 years or 50 years. Ravi Zacharias, in his book, Recapture the Glory, or Recapture the Wonder, Recapture the Wonder, has a line that really is quite stunning. He writes, our society is walking through a maze of cultural landmines. And the heaviest price is exacted as we send our children on ahead. It was the latter part of that, of that sentence that really struck my heart. And the heaviest price is exacted as we send our children on ahead. Things are changing more rapidly than we could have ever imagined. In 1996, on January the 23rd, Reverend Joe Wright was asked to pray a prayer for the opening session of the Kansas legislature. Everyone was expecting a prayer with the usual generalities, but what they heard was strikingly different. Joe Wright prayed, Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask for forgiveness and to seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, but that is exactly what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and reversed our values. We confess we have ridiculed the absolute 
truth of your word and called it pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it an alternative lifestyle. We have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and called it politics. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide and bless these men and women who have been sent to direct us to the center of your will. I ask it in the name of your Son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As you can imagine, the response was immediate. A number of legislators left the hall in protest while the prayer was being prayed. In the six weeks following Reverend Wright's prayer, his church received 5,000 phone calls. Interestingly enough, only 47 of them were negative. The church began to receive requests that the prayer be copied and sent as far away as India, Africa, and Korea. Toward the end of Paul Harvey's career, he aired the prayer in its entirety on the rest of the story. And that episode received the largest response to any program Paul Harvey ever aired. This is where our world is headed, and in fact, it's partially already arrived. And the storm clouds on the horizon look dark. You say, Pastor, you sound very pessimistic. Well, I would respond to that in two ways. First, I think I am a realist, but I also believe I am a realistic optimist. A pessimist sees the circumstances and the situation and sees no hope. A realistic optimist sees the circumstances and the situation and realizes that God's still seated on his throne. That the God we worship is the God of heaven and earth. And while I'm concerned about my grown children and very concerned about my little grandchildren... The Bible gives me great hope that God will accomplish all of his holy purpose among the host of heaven and the inhabitants of earth. 
when we, <clears throat> excuse me, when we come to this passage of scripture, we need to realize that we're coming to the final verses of the book of Revelation. John has taken those who have worked their way through the book of Revelation, through the judgment of God on this fallen world, beginning in Revelation chapter 8, with the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. The destruction of the earthly kingdoms of this world with the second coming of Jesus Christ in chapter 19. The millennial kingdom in the beginning of chapter 20. And as we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, a description of eternity, the new heaven, the new earth. Now we come to those final verses of Revelation that are going to encourage us to make sure that we're ready. That Jesus coming is soon and we need to be prepared. But we also need to realize that it's not just the end of the book of Revelation that we're studying, it's the end of the Bible. In divine providence, the last book that was written in the New Testament was the book of Revelation. And the last words of the Christian canon are found in the book of Revelation. So we have not only the last words of Revelation, but we have the last words of the Bible. And so we need to take heed, special heed, to what the Apostle John says here. Let me begin reading in verse 6 and read through verse 13. And I want to talk with you this morning about the fact that Jesus is coming soon. And for us to answer the question, are you ready? John writes in Revelation chapter 22 verse 6, And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. It's this first point that I'm going to spend most of my time on this morning. And it has to do with the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God in the life of the believer as we move toward the final days of history. I've stated it this way. Read, study, believe, and obey God's Word. It will keep you safe while the world falls apart. 
He's been describing a world out of control beginning in chapter 7 through chapter 18. And yet what John wants us to understand is if, if we are alive in those times, only the word of God will keep us steady and secure. He mentions the word of God a number of times. In fact, look with me at the latter part of verse 7. Or actually, look with me at the beginning of verse 6, then the latter part of verse 7. John, recording the words of the angel, the angel says to John, these words, the words that you've been writing, are faithful and true. Look with me in the latter part of verse 7. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book, who knows them and believes them and obeys them. Look with me in the latter part of verse 9. And of those who heed the words of this book, Revelation and the entire canon. He says in verse 10, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Look with me down in verse 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. And in verse 19, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. Read, study, believe, and obey God's word. It will keep you safe and your children safe as the world falls apart. You see, it's been this way all the way from the beginning. That is God's word, the essential nature of God's word, the importance of God's word. He says back in in verse 6 that that God's word is faithful and true. It's trustworthy. It can be believed. You can base your life on it. In the very beginning, when we studied the opening pages of the Bible, we saw the power of God's word. And God said, and God created out of nothing the universe That we enjoy. In Exodus chapter 20, Moses wrote, God spoke all these words, and then he recounts the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, Moses says, These words shall be on your heart. Embrace them, study them, memorize them, meditate on them, know them. Plant them like seeds in your heart and it will bear fruit. These words shall be on your heart. Then a little bit longer quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 45 through 47. The New Living Translation puts it this way. When Moses had finished reciting all these words to the people of Israel, he added, Take to heart all the words of warning I have given you today. Pass them on as a command to your children, so they will obey every word of these instructions. 
These, <clears throat> these instructions are not empty words. They are your life. By obeying them, you will enjoy a long life in the land you will occupy when you cross the Jordan River. Notice the reference to the children. Psalm 119, verse 9, the psalmist asked the question, How can a young person, a young man, or a young lady keep his way pure? Which is a pointed question, an important question in a world that is constantly bordering on the edges of sexual promiscuity. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young woman remain a virgin until her marriage? The psalmist says, by keeping it according to your word. Isaiah put it this way, the word of our God will stand forever. Jesus put it this way, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The last week Jesus was alive before he was crucified, Matthew chapter 24, he put it this way, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The apostle Peter put it this way to Jesus in John chapter 6, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then Peter wrote just a few years before he was martyred. All people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is, this is the word that was preached to you. This is the way that, that Jesus put it in verse 7. In the latter part of verse 7, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book, meaning the book of Revelation and the entire canon from Genesis to Revelation. Blessing is found, true blessing, in those who read it, study it, think about it, pray over it, and particularly obey it. Because these are the words of God. That's why Bible reading is absolutely essential for the believer. And particularly Bible reading that, that culminates in obedience. It's hard to beat a regular, systematic reading of the Bible. You might just say, Pastor, I'm just overwhelmed to think about reading through the Bible in a year. I can understand that. Try reading through the New Testament in a year. Just a chapter a day. With a pen and paper in hand and as you read it and you're impressed in your heart by the Spirit of God about certain things, just, just keep a little journal. Write a few thoughts down. Keep a record so that you can't trick yourself into believing that you read the Bible more than maybe you actually do read the Bible. 
It's easy for the Bible to get squeezed out of our lives. But while the world falls apart, the only thing that the Spirit will use to keep us strong is the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word always work together. Culture has rejected God's Word. Sometimes we as believers just ignore God's Word. One is it much different than the other. This thought about the Word of God and the importance of it and those who heed it being blessed are why we believe so strongly in Awana. It's the hope that we can have for our children. The heaviest price is exacted as we send our children on ahead. In Awana, the Word of God is being planted in their hearts. Some of the very best people in our church serve in our Awana ministry. And they are cooperating and working alongside Christian families. And I know it's a sacrifice. I know it's difficult. I I know it's hard to juggle all of the things in life. But as your children are memorizing the word of God, you're preparing them for the cultural landmines on ahead. And though today and tomorrow it might not look like there's much fruit that's being born, born in their life, the word of God in the heart is sometimes like a seed that hasn't yet begun to bear fruit, but it will. That's why we believe in youth discipleship, what we call 3D. That's why we commit some of the very best people, some of the most insightful people, some of the most godly people in our church to meet in small groups with our young people so that they can work alongside parents, reiterating and confirming what you are teaching your teenager in the home. That's why we have deeper life classes, so that we can have specialized focus on particular areas in discipleship where we need to be strengthened. And then when armed with the truth and fortified by the word of God, we can face the difficult pitfalls of this world. But without the word of God, we are defenseless. It's like a sword, Paul says. And we have to be committed to being a people of the Bible. A lot of churches, they don't want to say the Bible says. It's easy to get sucked into the, to the mindset that you talk about the Bible, but you actually don't study and preach the Bible. The kind of landmines that are out there for our grandchildren and children and loved ones, without being saturated in the Word of God, they're going to step on them. We've got to be people of the Bible. The second thing I want you to notice in this passage is that that we should anticipate Christ's coming. He says it twice. Notice with me at the beginning of verse 7, I am coming quickly. That means his coming is imminent. 
Notice with me a little bit further down in verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly. If you have red letter editions of the Bible, you'll notice that, that verse 7 and verse 12 and 13 are, are in red letters indicating the editors are saying this, these are the words of Jesus. What does he mean that he's coming quickly? It means in the scope of history, his coming is relatively soon. You remember God's word says that for God a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. When you compare time to eternity, eternity past and eternity present, his coming might be 70, it might be 90, it might be 20, it might be 150 years away. We don't know. It's it's ridiculous to speculate. But Jesus says he's coming soon, and so we can believe that. I want you to notice, particularly in verse 11 and 12, I want you to notice three declarations that Jesus makes. The first one is this. His coming is certain. His coming is certain. He says, I am coming quickly. He says it in verse 7. He says it in verse 12. Jesus Christ is coming again. We can mark it down. It's true. It's going to happen. We can be certain about it. And it will happen right on time, right when the Father has ordained it to happen. Not a moment before and not a moment after. But the second thing I want you to notice in verse 12 is that Jesus' rewards are just. They're never biased. They're never skewed. They're going to be just. He says, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. Those who walk faithfully with Jesus will be rewarded. We don't know what those rewards are. The Bible Bible doesn't articulate or describe them very well. But it appears there will be rewards and they're going to be justified and not biased. But I want you to notice the third thing that Jesus says. It's It's in verse 13. And Jesus says that he's divine. He's God. Jesus Christ is God. He has always been and will forever be. Before time was created, Jesus existed. He's always existed. And when time as we know it ceases to exist and we move out of time into eternity, he will exist. He said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and the last letter in the Greek alphabet. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. He he's, wants us to understand that he is always present, and there has never been a moment in time, if we can talk about pretemporal and post-temporal in terms of time, when he has not and will not exist. Jesus is God. Anticipate his coming. Third, worship only God. Worship God only. In verse 8 and 9, John succumbs to the subtlety of idolatry. There's something in us that we like to, we like to elevate people or hear spiritual beings 
to places of unusual prominence. John here is overwhelmed by the, by the revelation that he hears in verse 7. And so he falls down and he worships at the feet of the angel that's been his guide through revelation. And the angel is, he's, he's stunned. But this is actually the second time John does this. And the angel says, don't worship me, worship God only. I'm just a servant of God like you. We are so prone to idolatry. Even one like John, John was in his 90s. John was going to die not too many years after he wrote this book. John was the last living apostle. But John had a tendency that we find in all of us, and that is to exalt people or persons to places higher than they deserve to be elevated. We have this this mentality, this rock star mentality in evangelicalism about certain preachers and certain personalities. Or we do it with certain institutions. John was even rebuked for trying to do it to an angel, worship an angel. Now, our problem isn't that we worship angels. Our problem is that we have a tendency to worship our career. To sacrifice our children for our self-esteem. We have a tendency to worship our possessions so that we can have more than we were brought up with. Some of us have a tendency to worship our spouse. Well, probably not very many of us, but... I know your spouse, and you know your spouse. There's not much worshiping of spouses going on, but it can happen, particularly early in a marriage. Some people worship their children. They put their children in a precariously dangerous position that belongs only to God. Instead of worshiping these things, we should enjoy our our career. We should share our possessions. We should love our family. But we shouldn't worship any of those things. God alone is worthy of our worship. The way you know that you worship God alone is that you sing to God, not just on Sundays, but on a regular basis in your devotional life. It might be when you're driving to work or you're walking to the car and and thoughts of him begin to flood your mind and you turn your heart and your mind toward heaven. And in those few moments as you're walking out of the office into the parking lot towards your car, uh, you're in a worship setting. No one would recognize it. No one would see it. It's you in your heart, in your mind, and in your, and in your focus as you express to God your love and devotion for him. And your willingness to live for him. To live for him wherever you are, even if it's not where you want to be. You see, a lot of people will live for God if it's where they want to be. But worship is living for God where you are, regardless if it's where you want to be. 
And then number four, don't put off until tomorrow the choices you should make today. You know, many of the choices we make today in in some way, they become habit patterns in our life and in a sense they they almost seal our destiny. John states in verse 11 words that seem very fatalistic, but the point I think he's making is this. You need to look at what you're doing because what you're doing today will determine your eternity tomorrow. He says, let let the one who does wrong still do wrong and the one who is filthy still be filthy and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. That is, today's habits become eternity's destiny. So he's wanting us to take a look, a long, hard look at our life and the eternal nature of our choices. He wants us to recognize consequences come from choices, but it's not too late. In fact, that brings me to my final three thoughts, three final thoughts that I want to leave you with today. If you write down anything, I'd encourage you maybe to think about writing these thoughts down. Here's the first one. Make God's word a priority in your life and in the life of those you are responsible for. Make God's word a priority in your life and in the life of those you are responsible for. See the first third of the sermon. Second, don't fear the future. Don't fear the future. God knows what he's doing. That is, as we read the news reports and we watch the cultural decline of our nation, don't fear the future. God knows what he's doing. Third, listen to God's warning. It's not too late. As we come to the closing lines next week of Revelation and indeed of the entire Bible, listen to God's warning. It's not too late. You may be here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. We'd invite you in just a moment to come forward. And let us talk with you about what it means to know Jesus. What it means to know forgiveness of sin. We'll not leave you in some embarrassing situation up here. We'll talk with you privately, confidentially about your eternal destiny. And answer questions honestly and as best we can. Questions that you might have. It may be that you'd like to join us here at Ninth and I. We had two families join us in the early service. And... Today might be the day that you would come forward and say, listen, I think I want to put my stake down right here for as long as God has me in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I want to be a part of this congregation. If you come forward, we'd love to to introduce you to someone that can walk you through the membership process. I'm going to ask you if you'll stand. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. We're going to sing together. A couple of announcements and we'll be finished this morning. So let's pray and then... We'll follow our worship pastor in song. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, we thank you this morning that your word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to reveal to us who we are in Christ Jesus, and it's able to reveal to us who we are apart from Christ Jesus. Speak to us now in these final moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.